Welcome to the Swamp Flicks Podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. I am James Cohn. And I'm Hannah Rassinen. And we are recording in James and Hannah's living room in Mid-City, New Orleans. This is the podcast version of the movie review website, Swamp Flicks. Should I do some table setting here? It's been over a month since we yeah. recorded. I feel like you have to talk about the hurricane that came through yeah. here. Yes. <laughs> the last podcast I recorded was um, during the power outage on solar power with my shelter mate during the storm. Mm-hmm. We have not seen each other since before Hurricane Ida. Yeah. I'd say generally the mood is bad in the whole region. Like outside of the city, the devastation is way worse than yeah. in the city. But we have like lots of governmental incompetence and I'd say labor exploitation going on right now. Mm-hmm. Just like jobs pushing people to get back to like full productivity, even though a lot of people don't live in the city of New Orleans and work here. Um, and you could just feel the stress and just like everyone's on edge. Yeah. And- I mean, yeah. Having a major hurricane hit during a pandemic. Right. It's like morale was not high. Right. And now it's much lower. And there's trash literally piling yeah. up in the streets, and oh god! And it's been raining every day for the last week and a half. So now they're just like huge puddles filled with branches. <laughs> it's like oh great. So I don't know how much we want to dwell on the hurricane, right. but I will say it is affecting my mood. I actually the whole like pandemic, like I've been more and more just cognizant of like how much time and energy labor just sucks out of me. Yeah, and it's only gotten worse in the past. Two three weeks. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm in a I'm in a bitter mood. I'm very happy to see y'all though. Ah yay! Yeah, I mean, I, I feel you on that. But we we did go to a concert on Saturday, which has like kind of lifted my mm-hmm. my mood ever since. Oh, it man. was my first time like during this pandemic, like actually being in a huge crowd of people, like shoulder to shoulder, mm-hmm. uh, listening to live music, and it was pretty powerful. Yeah. I had two beers spilled on me which was great <laughs> they weren't they, they were like tipped over and they hit my leg and i was like ah oh, it's great to be back classic concert experience <laughs> yeah. but we, we saw this band big thief and like just seeing them live in the way that they like obviously love each other mm-hmm. on stage and like communicate through music with one another was like a pretty powerful thing yeah and like kind of what we've been missing during this whole pandemic and their music is very like mythical and connective and ecological like they have a lot about you know like the the bed and the earth and the water and the it's it's like very connective music which is really lovely i guess that's what i'm saying i'm fixated on my job as like that's all i'm technically allowed to do right now right Mm -hmm. and basically all i'm allowing myself to do Mm -hmm. so it's all i have going on in my brain except yeah like y'all are my entire social circle (laughs) so like uh (laughs) Yeah, it's just with this missing, this like one key like piece of like socializing missing right. out of my like weekly schedule. Yeah. Um, I just dwell more and more on like right. well, the one thing I'm like required to do every week is like go yeah. into this office and I hate being there. It is zero percent what I want to do. Right. Yeah. Well, I think and we also both just got back from different vacations. Yeah. So yeah. That that has been refreshing too to just take like a whole week yeah. off work. But now I'm but you know, back in the grind. Yeah, I saw my sibling Nora, who, and I haven't seen any family since before COVID, so it was just like crazy to, and very nice to have family in my life, and that that is like a very important thing. I mean, like 
built up my um my my juice your you know, emotional my human juice recharged. yeah exactly yeah y'all are glowing right now i love it <laughs> <laughs> hello well i've been inside watching movies uh <laughs> while y'all are doing this have y'all hadn't made time for movies while you're out there experiencing the real world again touching grass as the kids on twitter says. <laughs> yeah i mean i i've definitely yeah i've been watching movies um i guess uh, the one i wanted to talk about that I had like the most like mixed reaction or I guess not mixed reaction, but like an internal battle as I was watching it. Um, so I watched United 93. So nine 11, the 20th anniversary just passed recently. And obviously we all are of the age. We remember where we were when that happened. And I had put off watching this movie pretty much my whole life because I had this idea like it is so exploitative. It felt like, and I know they've also come out with like the world trade center movie. I think it had Nick cage and there's been a few versions of this kind of thing. And I, I watched a couple of those and I thought they were really bad and just exploiting a tragedy for entertainment. But I also was thinking like, obviously there needs to be a movie made about this at some point. I mean, we made movies about all sorts of tragedies, about the Holocaust, about Pearl Harbor, about obviously World War II, whatever. And I was just like, when's the right time? Like how many years have to pass before we can do this? And this movie came out only, I think, four years after 9-11. It came out in like 2005. So is this the movie about the plane that was diverted by passengers? Right. It was okay. the, the plane that crashed in Pennsylvania yeah. because the passengers decided to, you know, stand up against the terrorists and they like broke down the cabin door and caused it to crash. Basically saving, they think that that plane was headed to either the White House or Congress or whatever. Um, so they saved a lot of lives. Is that where the George Bush slogan, let's roll came from? Let's roll. Cause they actually have the real Black phone Fox. call yeah. of yeah. them saying that. So I was like, Oh, I don't know, man. I like, but it was nine 11 and I saw it was coming up on HBO. I was staying at my dad's house at the time. It's like, all right, let me just watch it. I mean, it seems like the thing to watch today. And, um, it really shook me up emotionally. And then I, I saw it was directed by Paul Greengrass, who did all the Bourne movies. Oh, like, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. That and makes I'm like, sense. What? Like that guy did the. But then I was thinking about those movies, and he's kind of known for like this sort of like shaky cam thing. And the the film hired all these non actors, and it's very like tries to be as factual as possible, and just something about the shaky cam, and you like know how it's going to end, but like these people banding together and it really like hit me on an emotional level that I was not expecting. I was sort of like wrestling with that. Like, like, man, this feels kind of wrong to turn this into a movie, but isn't that what movies are for? And I had this like internal debate for a while, but anyway, I was really sort of taken aback by United 93. Yeah. Are there no movie stars in that film? Mm-mm. Wow. All non-actors, from my understanding. I have not seen United 93, but, you know, I know people that have seen it. And it always kind of 
I feel like it's categorized differently from these other like movies that feel more exploitative. Like I know a lot of people that don't typically like those kinds of movies and really love this movie. Interesting. Like as soon as you started talking about it, I remembered like my mom saying, oh yeah, you know, that she was really moved by it. Yeah, it's different to see like Nick Cage as a fireman. Right. Or like like Mark Wahlberg in the like the BP oil movie. Right, or when Mark Wahlberg, it was like about the Boston bomber and it's like a fictionalized. Didn't he also say that if he was on that plane, he would have stopped, stopped all of 9-11 or something? Idiot. Some nonsense. But yeah, I think there were a lot of smart choices that made it feel very raw and not exploitative. And therefore, yeah, I, I think it's definitely the best one of all those. I've, I've seen. I haven't seen a single one of these films because like has no interest to me. But mm-hmm. I, have you seen that Clint Eastwood movie about the French train? Yeah, it, uh, it, terrorists. It reminds me a lot of that. Yeah. Again, the use of non actors, mm-hmm. and I think in that one they're actually they, recreating they playing themselves. People? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's pretty. And apparently, it's like a hangout film. So like you see them just like being tourists and like ordering, I think yogurt, like frozen yogurt somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Mm. I've never seen it, but it seems like something you'd be interested in just based on that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting approach to yeah. film and make it, makes it feel real. And if you're trying to talk about a real tragedy, I think that's one of the best ways you can go about it. So anyway, that's cool. that was my 9-11 viewing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you, Hannah? Hopefully something um, less depressing. Yeah, a l- little lighter. <laughs> so there's a documentary that is coming out with it's not it's not a documentary it's a mockumentary with saint vincent and carrie brownstein kind of nowhere in yeah yeah nowhere in which is like i don't know whenever people describe something as lynchian i'm like a little i don't know i'm i'm hesitant in what way right usually my next question yeah exactly what do you mean is it just like a weird like it's got weird stuff but it's like a mockumentary about music documentaries and specifically like the Like the Taylor Swift and the um, uh, Demi Lovato, like those kind of singular stories following a pop star. But it hasn't come out. I'm excited about it, but it impelled me to watch Pop Star, Never Stop, Never Stopping. Great film. Yeah. (laughs) I had never never seen it, but I I love Andy Samberg. I think he's just delightful as a human being. Like I love that he's married to Joanna Newsom and is like obsessed with her music. So it's directed by two by the other two members of Lonely Island, um, Jorma Tacon, and uh, I can't read my own handwriting. Um, uh, I want to say something like Aki Schaefer or something like that. Oh yeah, Akira Schaefer. Yeah, Akiva. Maybe it's Akiva. Akiva yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he's like the he's the one I know the least about. Like yeah. you know, Andy Samberg is obviously a celebrity. Yeah. And then Jorma, Jorma Tacon. has like a very like cute kind of like pop star face, and then Akiva is like this. I don't know. He's he's like very lanky, like, and he he's been in fewer of the Lonely Island like videos. Yeah. But uh, Andy Samberg and these other two members have this um, boy band group. They break up. Andy Samberg's character becomes a huge star, and then he releases this um, album that just is totally critically panned, and it's just kind of like following his um, descent into uh, like his his identity totally crumbling and then he refines himself with his friends as tim meadows who i just like love in every movie that he's tim meadows is wonderful and they're just kind of these like isolated 
funny moments like uh chris red plays like a tyler the creator kind of person there's a scene where andy sandberg proposes to his girlfriend and he has like all these rented wolves and seals <laughs> playing and then yeah. the wolves like break loose and they attack seal you know it's just like ridiculous lovely pop mania yeah, you know, I've seen that movie probably three or four times, and I've never Re- seen Spinal Tap. <laughs> really? Oh man, I love Pop Star. Yeah, uh, but I yeah, I'm missing like some like essential right. the like foundation. Oh my god, Spinal Tap is such a great movie. Yeah, that is just far and beyond like my favorite music mockumentary. But po- I really like Pop Star. I just like the Lonely Islands sense of humor. They just seem like a big fun group of guys palling around. Jorman um, Combs is actually the one maybe came around on them because uh, mm-hmm. I think he directed MacGruber and maybe also um, Hot Rod. Oh, really? And I liked both of those movies a lot and then Popstar. So I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I, I used to think Andy Samberg was kind of annoying. Mm-hmm. Uh, he reminds me of a very specific type of comedian, which I will complain about a lot later in this episode. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a lot to complain about yeah. when we get into the actual movies we're talking about today. Yeah. Um, and But Jor- Jorma's like directorial films are like what brought me around on Andy Samberg yeah. as well. I, cool. I find him very funny now. Yeah. Honestly, like I used to like Andy Samberg. And then, I mean, and this shouldn't color my perception of him at all, but my opinion of him totally changed once I found out that he was married to Joanna News. <laughs> like, he, he was telling this story about how he, or maybe she was telling, she, he's like, just listens to her music and like cries in a room. Like he, Aww. which, I don't know. I just think it's really beautiful. Like the fact that he can connect with her music, I think says something about him and if he's making her laugh he's doing something right. good in the world yeah. yeah yeah if you can make joanna newsome laugh then mm-hmm. you know you're making me you're serving a function yeah <laughs> <laughs> more yeah. useful than i'll ever be right yeah. yeah exactly um yeah so just a little bit of pop levity brandon what have you been watching i have a mixture of the two like types oh. of movies that we're talking about um, I watched something last night that I think both of y'all would like a lot, and I expected to not care about, but by the end, I was totally like over the moon for it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Riders of Justice. Oh, it's yeah, on Hulu. that's the new Mods Mikkelsen, right? Don't care about him at all. Uh. <laughs> Love his magnificent cheekbones. Oh, but my God. I, I've never really gotten him, like, what, what's special about I've him. I've read a good bit about that movie, I think it's definitely mm-hmm. something... That's up my alley. I feel like Mads Mikkelsen's thing is like very like hot Swedish father. Like okay. that is totally like his th- He's always a dad and he's always hot. He's just hot. Th- this movie sounds very strange to me. It is. Yeah. And, and he plays a dad in this as well. Yes. Um, <laughs> this is a dark comedy. It's a Danish film believe it or not um and he plays a dad believe it or not Mm -hmm. um it is directed by the guy who did men and chickens which i have not seen but i figured y'all might have Mm -mm. no okay i think so um so it reminded me a lot of nobody it is a dad on the warpath like revenge film Mm. but it starts off where you can't really tell what the sense of humor is like the first half hour of it is pretty much a drama Mm-hmm. About this, like, military dad who's, like, away at war all the time. And, like, his wife dies in this horrific train accident. And he comes home. And he's basically a single father to this teenage girl now. And he doesn't know how to process the grief except to get violently angry and, like, smash things and, like, punch people. Oh, God. Um, and so the first half hour, it's very grim. But then there's this mathematician who was also on the train. And this is where it starts to get into, like, 
Liam Neeson like taken territory mm-hmm. where like he's like statistically it's impossible that this was an accident. Like mm-hmm. there's a key witness to this like gangster um, murder trial that was like happened to be sitting in the same spot he sits every day and he died because of this accident. I think someone killed this man and like killed your wife mm-hmm. um, as like collateral damage in this yeah. like, a- assassination. And basically convinces Mads Nicholson to take on this entire biker gang by himself. And the whole thing builds to this joke, kind of, where it's like, he will literally do anything in the world besides go to therapy. Like, he will, (laughs) people keep offering him therapy to heal from this grief, and he will go so far out of his way and kill so many people and, like, hurt himself and, like, put his daughter at risk just to avoid talking about his emotions. And... Yeah, it's hard to describe why that's funny. Yeah. But it really is. And it turns in this like kind of action movie spoof the way nobody does, where it like builds to like the absurdism of like how far it's gone right. off the rails and like moving away from a drama to this conventional action film where like he has a garage full of like mathematician nerds working on these computers to like mm-hmm. track down these gangsters and it feels like you're watching like a Fast and Furious movie. Right. Except he's the only one who is like a killing machine and like won't face up to his emotions and yeah. uh, it's it's so funny. I did not expect to like it. It has a lot of like philosophy kind of stuff about, you know, found family mm-hmm. and also the nature of coincidence and how like when something terrible happens and there's no explanation for it, we try to like force reason and like control onto yeah. that chaos in right. our lives. Yeah, because there's nothing you can do about chaos. Right. And like, yeah, the ways he like tries to fix a problem that doesn't have a solution are just right. so fucked up <laughs> and so dark. Mm. Um, I think y'all would like it a lot. Yeah, that conflict is very appealing to me. Like how much easier it is to just like go out and murder right people and but then like that's easier than like going into a room and paying someone like sixty dollars to talk about your <laughs> your grief like oh you know what let's go on the killing spree that's gonna be way better for me or uh what was that um dominatrix movie we watched last year as oh well, yeah where, like the, the, the getting, dog like, the, pa- the dogs don't wear pants yeah, dogs don't wear pants. He's paying someone to like choke him almost right. to death instead of just like talking about his yeah. feelings <laughs> with his daughter for like five minutes yeah uh, very particular dark sense of humor that takes a while to like grow on you. But yeah. um, I don't know. I was impressed by it by the end. I, I found a lot of Danish comedies do that. Mm-hmm. They're just like strange and dark, but very funny. I, I think I really appreciate the Danish sense of humor. Yeah. So I, yeah. And that tonal shift from the first like 30 minutes to the rest of the film sounds pretty fun. Yeah. So, and it definitely crosses the line. I think it's like offensive a few times, which I'm fine with. Like, I don't know. I'd like to talk to you about it more in detail once you watch it. Because there's a few jokes where like, oh, God, that was not tasteful. Um, <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> which, you know, Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah it's kind of hard to come by that sometimes. Cool. So, yeah. Well, today we are talking about a topic um, James picked out a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is it's a long been a time while. It, we have not watched these movies yeah. in quite some time. Yes. Also, this is such a silly topic to come to after a hurricane. Right. Just totally bananas. Also, I feel wrong that I brought up the 9-11 movie on the the pre-show to Dr. <laughs> Dr. Seuss yes. films. <laughs> Something feels wrong about that. Yeah. You know what? Both are like favorite topics of right-wing commentators right now because mm. Dr. Seuss was canceled That's uh, true. this year and Fox News yeah. like went apeshit over it. On the Venn diagram. A dumb news cycle. Are you aware of this? 
he I mean he wasn't really I'm no, sure Fox he was News not, yeah, like yeah. yeah. I mean basically his estate decided to like not print any more of like certain books of his yeah, which were offensive. Frames. But we're gonna have to talk about like his legacy and his art a little bit. Maybe we'll get into like what's exactly is being omitted from the public record now. Yeah, I actually watching these films and reading a lot about Dr. Seuss, like he he's an interesting guy. And we're going to talk about every movie that we could find that was based off of his art. Um, live action. Live action movie. films, yeah. right. Yeah, we're not, we're not touching the animated stuff. Oh my gosh. One of them was, I thought, just amazing. Oh, wow. Yeah. Exciting. <laughs> there, there was one that I really loved and I didn't expect it, so... There are two that I think are some of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Really wide range. Okay. <laughs> and all that's coming up to you right, right now. now. For the first time in his 60-year career, Geisel has decided to let someone mount a retrospective of his work. It's an honor to you. Yep. Certainly is. They say that lots and lots of people are going to come. Hmm? They say lots. See. Sometimes they come, sometimes they don't. Modest for a man whose 45 books have sold more than 100 million copies in close to 20 languages. Books with characters that didn't exist before Dr. Seuss created them. Characters with a humanity and a humor that have made children for the past 50 years demand of their parents nightly read it again. Um, so James wanted to talk about live action Dr. Seuss movies. And you had two in mind when you started, but I did research and found a couple <laughs> earlier ones that I, I wanted well, to dial I'm, the clock I'm back glad to. you did for yeah. this one we're about to talk about. Okay, so this movie is wild. Uh, it's called The oh 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T. It's from 1953. It's actually been on Britney's like, movie of the month like nominations list for like years, so I'm glad I finally got to watch it mm-hmm. for this conversation. Um, unfortunately, she couldn't be here to talk about no. it with us because yeah. uh, she's not feeling well. She is one of the few people listening to this right now, though, so <laughs> hope you feel better soon, Brittany. This movie is a Technicolor musical from the 1950s. It has a screenplay written by Dr. Seuss, and although he did not do the production design on it, mm-hmm. you could tell that his art was a direct yeah. inspiration for the visual design of the film. Very Seuss-inspired. And he, and he did write the lyrics to all the songs. Oh, God, the fucking songs. That, <laughs> so many songs. That's a problem. Well, actually, I'll tell you this. They had 20 songs in this right, and movie. they cut it down. They cut it down to nine after like a test audience was like, please stop with the songs. <laughs> I would love to have heard those other 11. God, right? can't imagine. So, okay, this movie is a fantasy film, as you might guess, based on Dr. Seuss's art. Um, it starts with this kind of leave it to beaver situation. It's like a suburban home. Uh, Mother knows best. Uh, we're mm-hmm. like... This little kid's at a piano and his mother's making him practice all day and, you know, hires this evil piano tutor that, like, makes him just play the same scales over and over again. Mm -hmm. He's, like, bored out of his goddamn mind. In his mind, the kid wants the family plumber to marry his mom (laughs) and become his new dad. Um, But he fears that the evil dictator-type piano teacher will become his new dad instead. Um, He gets so bored practicing his piano that he falls asleep. And he wakes up in this like Seussian fantasy world where all of his anxieties become very literalized. Like mm-hmm. the dictator piano teacher owns this like prison camp for boys. <laughs> he wants to um, kidnap 500 <laughs> boys to force them to play on this on giant this piano. Huge piano. <laughs> A torture device that he's created. <laughs> but he can't import all these boys until the plumber. <laughs> 
installs enough sinks for the county sink inspector to approve all the boy prisoners to arrive. And I love the plumber's like board that he marks off with. It's like like sinks installed and these like wild like tally marks. (laughs) Uh, So good. This movie looks great. I didn't mention the mom's also there. She's like a prisoner um, yeah. under the She's spell. Yeah, she, yeah. yeah. Okay, whatever. And there is a great hypnotizing battle scene between oh, yeah. the piano <laughs> yes. teacher. and so That's the like huge thing we have to talk about is just the musical sequences in general. Yeah. I think this movie is like fantastic to look at. I love the visual design of it. I love uh-huh. just living in this Beautiful. like fantasy world. It, it gets that Dr. Seuss thing right where like, there's no such thing as a straight line in this world. Like everything's curved and loopy mm-hmm. and like Crooked. German expressionism. Yeah, totally. That's exactly German expressionist Seussland. But the fucking songs, man. Like <laughs> it's I like, like the dream songs. world. Dream oh, I like that world. Song. <laughs> you don't like the dream world? No. <laughs> what about the big number at the end with all the uh, enslaved musicians down in the dungeon? Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't really a song. That was just a musical performance. Okay, this movie flopped, right? And it like scared Dr. Seuss out of Hollywood. Here's my thinking. It's no weirder than like The Wizard of Oz yeah. or Willy Wonka or any other like, you know, Phantasmagoria like production design yeah. thing. If the songs were better, I think it could have been a hit. I don't think there's a catchy tune in this movie at all. You know, I was going to argue with you, and now I can't remember any of the songs. Well, (laughs) you might be right about that, but where I think this is, I don't want to say it's better than Wizard of Oz. It's funnier than Wizard of Oz. Mm. It's very funny. I mean, and I think in like an intentional way, too. I think it's not like laugh at it because it's so bad. It's not, no. It's yeah. not like there's actual jokes and the humor is so weird. It's so weird that I couldn't help but like love the ride of the film, even if the songs were lackluster. There's yeah. just so much of them. Like so much of the movie is like, what are those, what, I don't know we call this like style of musical where it's like, there's this huge chorus of like off screen voices. I feel like Disney movies always had that as well. Mm-hmm. So there's this wall of yeah. sound and it's very like, just makes me sleepy yeah. watching it. But but like you said, visually it's so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. To look at but another thing too is at least in Wizard of Oz, like there is some journey. There is some end goal. And I guess there is in here, like he wants to go back home too. But there's long stretches of the movie where like nothing is really happening. He's just yeah. sort of hanging out with the plumber who's gonna be his new daddy and a lot like of some standing around dead. circus performers will show up like two roller skaters who are connected by a yeah. beard <laughs> that was a cool visual that's great yeah, yeah. but there's a, yeah there's a lot of cool visuals that sort of hang out for maybe a little too long it's just trying to fill up time yeah yeah i it, it kind of felt like a gray like kind of knockoff wizard of oz but this is the film that I just love. I just loved it. It was fantastic. And like the image of this long snaking piano and like all these little boys filing in (laughs) and they're like stealing all the, they have like little frog jars for the frogs. These boys are like inevitably bringing and like, oh, you got your slingshot. We have to take it away. (laughs) And then, and I loved that scene with all of the, the prisoners that he's like the wizard bands all instruments except for the piano so there's this like guy that he just his instrument is just 
he runs and he grabs a rope and like swings himself and has a little mallet and he like hits a tiny little symbol and they're like <laughs> just the least efficient right m- musical instruments possible it was just like it was a wonder and it it was n- it was entrancing and maybe not awe-inspiring in the way that the wizard of oz was yeah and yeah i i the songs were very forgettable i actually liked the song that the little boy sings about like just because I'm short and I'm a little kid doesn't mean you can push me around. Oh, I don't that's know. Great. Yeah. yeah, I just I love like the anti-adult um, sentiment of yeah. this movie. Speaking of that, I I do think it taps into like I don't know real fears that yeah, it totally. felt like a kid's like Seussian nightmare kind of right. And I know like a lot of Doctor Seuss has like that dark side too, and he, I think he even had some art he never released, which is like super dark and weird so he had that like part of his art and like this seems to be tapping into that in a way that none of the other films have mm-hmm. and just like yeah strange childhood anxieties sinister nonsense is yeah. like the, the words that really like yeah. stuck with me for this one as like a child that did take piano lessons it felt that you know it's like those fears felt real and also like a child that had divorced parents like yeah uh i have to like play the scale i'm gonna play it for the rest of my life and like this guy is gonna marry my mom and i want her to marry like the gardener that i like you know <laughs> just these kind of like illogical fears and desires well um, and that comes into play at the end too when i was <laughs> i got so mad at the movie because like the climax him and the plumber guy they get locked up and they're about to have the recital with all the imprisoned kids. And the plumber has this like thing that takes the smell out of the air. And the kid has the idea that like, what if you could do that, but with sound? <laughs> and so like they're in the cage and they put a bunch of random shit in a jar and right. create a thing that takes sound. It, like, like this makes no fucking sense at all. But then I was like, well, I guess it's kind of how kids... Kid logic. Kid yeah. logic. And the whole movie sort of works on that. Yeah. And so, like, I don't know. I dug that. Or, like, the ladder to nowhere is kind of like that, too. Oh, or like, that was yeah. such a beautiful shot. Yeah, there were some like really slowly. beautiful shots. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think overall, you're probably right that... I, I think what's frustrating is I think if... Yeah, if the songs were better, if the story was maybe a little tighter, this could have been a real, like classic and not a cult classic right Mm -hmm. but it is totally like with its merits uh, yeah especially visually you know i'm comparing it to wizard of oz and willy wonka those are like two of the best movies ever made right (laughs) so like i don't know that's like a harsh comparison point um i like this movie a lot i just during the songs like my eyes were crossing sometimes like yeah i agree uninspired compositions it's the whole movie we were watching it and i was like they better have these little kids playing this piano i'm gonna be so mad (laughs) if we don't see all these seats filled with little boys oh man when that when the piano teacher dresses for his big recital his (laughs) final okay that was a great song he's like i want my leopard print espadrilles and then (laughs) they're like like nobody is giving him any of the things that he's asking for it was It was delicious. Yeah, I think it's definitely a movie of moments. Like, yeah, I could like recall so many little moments that I thought were great. Yeah, overall, not a five star film, but man, yeah, this was super surprising. I was not expecting mm-hmm. to dig this one as much as I did. 
And I wouldn't hold it against anyone who did think this was a five star film and be like, yeah, I get it. Like, right. I love like swing for the fences. Like, yeah, this movie definitely goes for it. You know, I mm. also like movies about adults like trapping children in. I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's a strange thing to say, but like, like those were the kinds of movies I loved when I was a kid. Like, like even the Pinocchio scene with like the the donkeys where mm-hmm. he like just something about trapping children in like whimsical lackadaisical ways that are also terrifying i don't know i can't maybe i'll 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 think about that and think about what that says about me <laughs> and because like the 1950 stuff is so squeaky clean there's like mm-hmm. almost something like sexually menacing totally about the fact that this guy's kidnapping 500 yeah. young yeah, boys and right and his his five thousand fingers yeah. and i will play the piano for me <laughs> i don't even think that was subtext really i mean yeah it's like upsetting it was pretty there yeah <laughs> Well, uh, Dr. Seuss himself called this a debaculous fiasco, <laughs> which is uh, definitely something one of his turns of phrases, oh. uh, and scared him away from making movies with, oh. in Hollywood, which sucks, because, okay, I'll just say this out front. 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T, best movie we'll talk about today, yes. without question. Agreed. It only goes downhill from here for me. <laughs> Agreed. And the one thing that's great about it is actually consistent throughout these films, which is like his visual style makes for great art design yeah so like as much as i will say i had a miserable time with like some of the movies later like they all look cool in mm-hmm. their own way but i do think this is the only one that kind of captures the essence of doctor like the source Seuss. material the yeah. source material mm-hmm. yeah i think a lot of the films we're going to talk about later get the look of it but not the feel of it yeah and it made me think about his art differently like i wish that he had made more movies because there's something about putting like like he, he has these weird like spooky hands in all of his books like the twisty arms and and it's like they look like goofy and silly in his books and then in this movie it's like that made sense to me in a different way right. like i don't know just having it, it it gave it so much more character or even just the little like beanie that all the kids yeah, wear the in uniform. Little- <laughs> it's just like happy fingers on their little beanie. Yeah. Uh, it's so weird. So strange. Yeah, I loved it. Okay, so from like the height of like musical glut, like old mm-hmm. Hollywood, you know, soundstage over the top production design to a made for TV uh, special oh, about the legacy of Dr. Seuss. Um, in 1994, it's called In Search of Dr. Seuss. I believe his family. License this after he died? That sounds right. Well, mm. that's a big thing that is going to come up in the next three movies we're going to talk about is like his estate and mostly his like wife pretty much had to green light any film that got made. Yeah. And kind of like she set the demands. And so, yeah, anything we've seen in these next three is like all pretty much filtered through the family or the estate. Yeah. And, there were classics in the 60s and 70s, particularly like animated shorts mm-hmm. that were just direct adaptations of his work. And they're like, great. And whenever I see yeah. those, like I get this flood of nostalgia. Like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, I grew up watching mm-hmm. you know, the star-bellied sneeches like bit, you know? Yeah. And this movie uh, or TV special, I don't know. It's kind of somewhere in between. Uh, it is called In Search of Dr. Seuss, and it includes a lot of clips of those animated shorts. Yeah. Assembled into kind of a variety show hosted by Kathy Najimy, 
who's playing a reporter sleuth. She wants to get the scoop on Dr. Seuss. Mm -hmm. Uh, She gate crashes the cat in the hat's house and like forces the cat in the hat to tell her Dr. Seuss trivia. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's basically like a combination of, did you know like Wikipedia bullet points about Dr. Seuss's life and work and some celebrity cameos? Like I think... Robin Williams reads Hop on Pop or something like that in the middle of it. Oh, he reads Cat in the Hat. Cat in the Hat, yeah. And um, there's also musical numbers based on his stuff. Mm -hmm. And then there's actual just clips of these like, you know, classic era cartoons that Kathy and Jimmy is like green screened into. She's just like, you know, interacting with the sneetches. But, you know, they also go into a lot of his like history, you know, his, it's a basically a long form like biography and they even show like some Nazi era. There's a lot of Nazi stuff. Not a Nazi. Yeah. Well, he was really against fascism and Nazis and isolationism. So that does come up in this. Did y'all own Dr. Seuss Goes to War? Mm-mm. Uh, I had no. that book in high school. Um, and it is his like, it's a collection of his political cartoons yeah. from World War II. And I, I wanted to bring that up because like the Dr. Seuss gets canceled controversy from this year. A lot of them are extremely racist against Japanese people in particular. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah, he was like pro internment camps. And, and th- I mean, if you look at any propaganda from World War II, I mean, that's just what it was. I mean, right. it was very distasteful and horrible and racist. But the cartoons they show in this documentary obviously are not like the super racist ones. Like right. they're showing the ones that are critical of Hitler or critical of aspects of the u.s government like the gop yeah it's definitely a whitewashed version of dr seuss's the thing that really took me aback about that is like they say you know he does all these great things in the movie they're like really pumping him up and they say he was a champion for um racial injustice issues i was like was he i don't know (laughs) i don't know if that's true i i mean it's complicated it's complicated that's it's really complicated Yeah. yeah And the issue of his books being quote unquote censored is also complicated. They're not publishing a couple books that aren't like the bestsellers anyway. And have mm-hmm. some pretty awful racial stereotypes. And there's and, a couple others that they like removed a couple lines that like are cringy now. Like it's yeah. nothing's really being right. erased from history the way that uh the way that people will put it to get clicks right now. Right. So I don't know. This movie this movie also cleans up his legacy Ooh, just very, like that very sparkly right. yeah and, and then they also like position his stories with social issues like in ways that kind of bothered me like the yurtle the turtle story is like sung by a gospel choir and yeah. then at the end they're dancing and they're like we're all free because yurtle the turtle is about a king turtle that's like knocked down and humbled from so it the I like movie. that song. <laughs> the, but the movie is like positioning that as like a statement on civil rights. Right. Which like, I don't know. I don't know if that's what it was. I mean, I I think if you were a kid who wasn't familiar with Dr. Seuss, if you weren't raised on the books and you were growing up in the like early 90s, this would actually be a pretty nice introduction to Dr. Seuss. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really the most praise i can give it it's I like think that was its function too right, right? so it, yeah that's when it, like it effectively did what it set out to do i mean us watching it now yeah it was kind of lame and boring but <laughs> i could imagine being a kid and i you know i thought some of it was entertaining 
I mean, it's pretty zany. And again, like the the set design, and I thought a couple of the songs were okay too. Like it's not without some of them are okay. Some of them are like, oh, the places you'll go. Oh, 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 yeah, that, oh, that oh, oh the bad. places you will go. <laughs> that was a bad one. That was a bad one. Yeah. But I, I mean, I actually was not really bored. Well, there were parts of this movie that bored me, but I did grow up with Dr. Seuss and I thought it was really fun to like, my favorite parts were like revisiting the stories and like Horton and the Egg, I remember reading and Yertle the Turtle, even though I didn't love like, you know, the juxtaposition of that song and like especially the Lorax it's just like a really touching story and then that um i actually had never seen that like basically the story about the arms race like these two the 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 people that butter their toast on the top or the bottom like <laughs> i just think that these are really effective stories for children and they're giving great messages and that was kind of i think his greatest skill at communicating big messages in packages that children could understand like that's invaluable and i think the same thing rings true for this one as the last one too where like even if a song wasn't hitting me the way i wanted Mm -hmm. it to or like kathy and jimmy was like doing a quote-unquote funny voice (laughs) that was just making everything like a little too zany for my taste like at all times i love the look of this movie the Mm -hmm. same way that i love the look of all of these where like this looks like it's filmed on like extra sets from Pee Wee's Playhouse. Yeah, totally. It's all hand built, very colorful yeah. pop art um, inspired by Dr. Seuss's stuff. Mm-hmm. Some of it's a little lazy, but even the lazy stuff looks like you know my like ideal bedroom or yeah. something like or like a chill like a kindergarten classroom or right. something. Yeah, super super saturated kooky playhouse. Yeah, beauty and Memphis style you know, just geometric shapes and things. I don't know. There's yeah. there's a lot going on in this movie visually. Um, it seems like it was kind of a rushed, cheap production, mm-hmm. but it was meant to sort of like keep Dr. Seuss's legacy alive. And I don't know. It kind of did that. And it did get some star. I mean, like you said, Robin Williams yeah. is in it. Patrick, Patrick Stewart. Stewart Christopher Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd. Billy Crystal. Right? That was Billy I Crystal. I think it was. The voice he was of the, the radio. Radio, yeah. And as far as I can tell, the only way it's like currently available is it's on YouTube in a pretty fuzzy VHS rip with um, Portuguese subtitles yeah. <laughs> over the bottom. So um, if you want to learn about Dr. Seuss and learn like some light Portuguese at the same right. time. Yeah, I uh, I keep I always forget that the word for advertising is like propaganda. It's <laughs> 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 like, ah, just a reminder of where we are. I was, I was shocked reading the YouTube comments. So many people were nostalgic for this. They're like, oh, I remember. For this movie? Yeah, they're like, I remember I was oh, in boy. elementary school and my mom would t- borrow this from the library and I watched it two times a week. Yeah. I'm like, whoa, I, we were living in different worlds because <laughs> right. I didn't know this Never existed. Never heard of this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I could see, though, like loving this movie as a, as a kid, totally. And like, oh, this crazy, weird kooky fun stuff yeah but lots lots of voices good good intro to dr seuss yeah we know nothing crash course yeah Yeah. qual es your nome por favor meu nome é ted geisel come along with me in search of dr seuss we'll try to catch him if we can he's out there on the loose come along with me in search of dr seuss i know that we will find him it'll be a cinch ask the grinch ask the grinch 
soon you'll be within our reach As the stingers on the bench It's time to get into the bad Dr. Seuss movies. <laughs> what originally started the whole idea for this episode, because um, I did go on a modern Dr. Seuss film binge a few months ago, and it all started with 2000's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, starring Jim Carrey, mm. directed by Ron Howard. I thought the like production, like the way this film came into being is interesting because obviously we all grew up on the animated, which is pretty timeless, kind of perfect. I don't know why we needed a movie adaptation. No. We probably didn't. But anyway, like Dr. Seuss in his lifetime refused to sell the rights to any of his books for films or anything. But once he passed away, his wife took over and she did, she basically put out feelers through her lawyers to like, hey, I'm willing to sell the rights to the How the Grinch Stole Christmas, but here's my list of demands. And they were very, very demanding. Actually going to read them because (laughs) it's pretty shrewd and I kind of respect her. So first of all, they had to, whoever bought the rights had to pay 5 million, hand over 4% of the box office gross. 50% 50% of the merchandising revenue Smart. wow, and 70% of the income from book tie-ins also stated any actor for the Grinch must be comparable stature to Jack Nicholson. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and it was stipulated that the estate would not consider a director who had not earned at least 1 million on a previous picture. Wow. So she, I mean, she was laying it out. Like if you're going to make this movie, give me the biggest actor, the biggest director, and we're going to make a shit ton of money. Mm-hmm. And so the biggest actor at this time was Jim Carrey. I think he was the highest paid actor at this time. And also for a director, you had Ron Howard, who was kind of riding a high. I mean, he's still like one of the biggest directors. He makes the blandest, most over the plate. Which is perfect. Right. That's what they movie. wanted. Yeah. And this movie was marketed to hell. Um, Wait, can I just say real quick? Yeah. We're talking about Ron Howard. Uh, just like a quick aside. Sure. I, I hate this movie. And I was dreading <laughs> watching like a Christmas movie, like out of season. That's like mm-hmm. particularly insulting to me. Um, so I was like, I'll soften the blow a little bit and I'll just watch it with the director commentary on to see like, oh, no. oh yeah, if that'll help. And Ron Howard is so bland. Like <laughs> all he had to say was whenever like an actor showed up on screen, it's like, Oh yeah, Christine Baranski. She's very funny, very professional. I like her. She's a very nice lady. Oh yeah, oh yeah. What do you have uh, to say about Jim oh, Carrey? Oh yeah, he's just very funny. You know, we would just point the camera at him for, oh, for hours. Oh just no, no <laughs> like insight or anything to add, except that everyone he works with is very nice and very yeah. talented, and he's very happy to work with them. I mean, he oh, seems boy. very political. Like right. he knows how to yeah. like do the Hollywood machine. It's funny that he would say Jim Carrey was a pleasure to work because by all accounts from everything I've read, Jim Carrey was a horror. I'm sure on this set because each day he had to sit for like eight hours to do makeup. And in the beginning he got so frustrated. There's reports that he like kicked a hole in the wall. He was like violent. He was like yelling at the 
makeup director who threatened to quit. So he was like a total terror at very the beginning. Very talented guy. Very nice to work with. <laughs> <laughs> pleasure, pleasure to work with. So anyway, the the film made a shit ton of money. I think it was, I don't know, one of the highest grossing movies of that year. I think maybe one or two biggest holiday movies of all time at that point. So it it did well. And it's also the reason that we have a Cat in the Hat movie that we'll talk about <laughs> later. So yeah, so... Talking about the movie itself, and I agree, it's it's actually probably my least favorite of these. Worse than Cat in the Hat. That is shocking. <laughs> I, and I have reasons. <laughs> okay. I have reasons. The thing I hate it, well, I'll just get right into it. The look of Cat in the Hat is the look to me of like, it looks great as a Dr. Seuss movie. The production design, the costumes, the sets of that movie are mm-hmm. perfect the look of this movie is disgusting. It's like sewage green all over the place. It's dimly lit. It's I mean, like, it is the Grinch. Yeah. The book doesn't look this gross. But it doesn't look that gross. I also like the way this movie looks, though. Oh, my God. Really? I think this movie works as a horror film. Like <laughs> you have Rick Baker doing the practical effects makeup. Mm-hmm. And I think he's he, like a legend in yeah, the movie industry. Yeah, he won for this, I believe. And the prosthetics are fucking horrifying. Yeah. The production design is nightmarish. Yeah. I think also the Who's are horrifying. Yeah. And that's like in the Grinch, like the Who's are very cute and they got their little noses and like sweet, but they're, they're like so exaggerated and character. Like they made it very literal. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's gross. And the Grinch is supposed to be gross. Like the character himself, but they took it too far and just like made everything as gross as him. (laughs) But where I think they screwed up in this movie too is they try to give the Grinch a backstory and a love interest where they try to explain why he is the way he is. And that is something that the cat in the hat does not do. And that's why I kind of like the cat in the hats approach where it's just a crazy cat. I mean, we don't need a story about how he came into being, but the Grinch, they have to give it this like love interest that gets stolen from him. This whole like B plot that. Well, first of all, the love interest is the best actor in this entire film. I love Christine Baranski so much, especially in her like Christmas dominatrix gear with that (laughs) giant uh, Christmas lights gun that she's like firing from the crotch level. Like one of the like only salvageable moments in this entire film. I I think this and Cat in the Hat have the same problem where it's like, this is like a what? 12, 14 page children's book. So there isn't much story. So they have to fill the time somehow. Mm -hmm. This one at least builds a little bit of plot, but they both have the same solution to the problem, which is like hire the most annoying fucking comedian who works in the business (laughs) and just let them rip for two hours. Yeah. Just let them loose. (laughs) Well, um, okay. So let's just say the other movie that we had to watch was cat in the hat, which came out five years later. And Sort of riding off the success of this one, they agreed, okay, we'll sell the rights to Cat in the Hat. And I think at first it was supposed to be Tim Allen, but he couldn't, which would have been. Oh, God. So (laughs) I don't know if it would have been worse or better. I don't know. Boring. Boring. But I guess there was some dispute with Michael Myers. He was supposed to star in this film that they invested some money in. He dropped out. They sued. And I guess they came to like an agreement where, all right, well, you're just going to star in Cat in the Hat. <laughs> and that's how we settle this. It's like legally obligated whimsy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it, 
No, and it was directed. Um, oh, I can't remember. I'll have to look at the director's name. I know the cinematographer was Lebesky, which is crazy. Well, and the director did the production design for like Edward Scissorhands, oh, okay. Men in Black. This has a very Tim Burton yeah. like suburban aesthetic for sure. Mm-hmm. And the real positive thing, again, I'll say about this is it captures that look, I think, perfectly to a T. And it is sort of the like Tim Burton meets Dr. Seuss, but it just works visually for me. Yeah. Uh, where it gets into trouble is that it has Mike Myers. Say what you want about Jim Carrey being annoying. He's very annoying. My, but Mike Myers <laughs> worse. in this film is worse. So much worse. So what sort of makes this film work for me, thinking about it over time, is that the cat in the hat is annoying. I mean, he's supposed to be this annoying nuisance. And like Mike Myers annoys the shit out of me. So therefore, I felt like I kind of was in this world. Like, Again, the look of it, okay, I'm in the Dr. Seuss world. Oh, my God, this cat is so grating, and he won't stop with antics and impersonations and little jokes, and it drives you absolutely insane, which isn't that sort of the story of Cat in the Hat. And it doesn't add that backstory. It just sort of presents you this crazy cat that's going to do a bunch of zany gags, and that's an hour and 15 minute movie but uh, like the like jim carrey is annoying but i had some like heart for the grinch and i just have no and and again maybe that's the point that you have no heart for the cat he's just but i also like do not want to watch that movie for an hour and 15 minutes like his arc did not give me any gratification well, he hasn't. And There's he also, no arc. He also like it. Shrekifies the humor too, where it's like yeah. constant pop culture references. I mean, like, yeah. awkward. And yeah, stuff like that. it's, oh, it's right. so. And he it's does like, the low. same voices he always does. It's like he does the, the Irish Scottish, accent, the, yeah. the Scottish. He does the Jewish woman accent. At one point, he's a Rastafarian. He does steal the uh, cowardly lion's laugh from Wizard of Oz. Where it goes, <laughs> oh. <laughs> a lot. Uh, he does do. <laughs> <laughs> Just I you that uh, it just, uh, like, I just trigger something my, in you. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, a problem I have with the movie is that it a little bit it tries to like have a backstory where the kids, you know, they're the brother and sister are fighting, and the mom has this sleaze bag played by Alec Baldwin, mm-hmm. who's trying and her like boss played by I think what Sean Hayes, who's like super annoying. Mm-hmm. Like there's like fifteen to twenty minutes before you even see the cat and i think in the book it pretty much happens right away he's just there and so like it tries to give you a little backstory and then it's just an hour of mike myers doing his there's nothing here like the credits roll at 75 minutes right and i've seen this movie once in the theater i was very stoned and just in wonder of the colors (laughs) of it but also fully aware that it was a horrible film um and then you know watching it again now you know all these years later the same thing happened to me. Like I'm watching it and the credits roll and I'm like, what happened for the last hour? <laughs> right. Like nothing stuck to my brain at all. No. Like I think Dakota Fanning is good. She's talented. Yep. Yeah, the she's kid actors good. are, they're both. Yeah. They're good. both good. And so I like have a connection to the original Grinch. 
I like never liked the cat in the hat. I never liked that story particularly. So I I wasn't as invested in it, but there is this moment that is not in the book where they he like opens this crazy yes. box of like the Netherland and then it's like <laughs> infecting their house and that was fucking cool. I was like yeah. I would watch this. It's like for purple CGI yeah. like, infection blobs. Yeah, like that was great and it's turning like their house into this like nightmare seascape. Like that was so cool and I I love that. And that's I mean it was there was like like 15 minutes. I, I'm glad you brought that up because that like 10, 15 minutes of the film is better than anything in The Grinch. Sure. I would, yeah. Like yeah. I agree. that is some trippy, weird, like out there Dr. Seuss stuff. Well, I don't know. That reminds me of other things than Dr. Seuss. It reminds me of like Floops Flugies from the Spy Kids movie or like other like oh, yeah. s- early CGI, like psychedelia computer screensaver weirdness right like yeah the the digital bl- art like blobbies it doesn't remind me of seuss at all Where like i don't think this cat in the hat movie is seussian in any way outside of the cat in the hat design like the the character design mm-hmm. where at, at least the grinch movie and i'm damning this with freight praise because it is <laughs> a barely better film i i think there is something more seussian about it the production design of Cat in the Hat reminds me of Tim Burton, or it reminds me of the mm, like pastel yeah. sort of game board design of like The Good Place or something, where like the actual like production design of The Grinch, even though it is grimy and like lived in in this like kind of horror film kind of way, it at least has the curved lines and the weird like structure of, of a Dr. Seuss world. Um, and the camera too, if you pay attention in, in The Grinch, it never stays still. Every time you're looking at a character, the camera's like leaning to the left and then you cut opposite to the other reverse shot and it starts leaning to the right. So mm-hmm. like every time you like look at something, you're like like a windshield wiper. You're like going yeah. back and forth and it gives you this sort of like drunken like That's cool. walking in a spacewalk kind of feel. Yeah. At least they're trying <laughs> to like feel like Dr. Seuss in some way. I don't know what they're doing in Cat in the Hat other than just letting Mike Myers do whatever stupid shit comes to his brain well and Hannah, to your point too like the cat in the hat story is one of the weakest like what is that story really you know grinch it's obviously about like you know the spirit of christmas and yeah forgiveness there's no real heart to cat in the hat it's really just like, yeah, ma- you like madness and right. i guess respect your parents or you know, yeah, clean up after like, yourself yeah and the, yeah right so like dr seuss or the cat in the hat does all this bananas stuff and then he's like okay you can have fun but you gotta clean up yeah it was kind of like a lesson here he does like behavior therapy for the kids where he's like one of them is too controlled and the other was too chaotic and he tries to like write their balance yeah by getting them to meet in the middle bullshit he doesn't care about that (laughs) it cares about you know plugging the latest smash mouth single and like having him make jokes for the parents in the audience so Mm -hmm. like where Dakota Fanning's like, where'd you come from? And he goes, well, when a mommy cat and a daddy cat love each other very yeah. much. It's like, great, sex jokes on my kid's movie. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's- And they're a, not even good they're sex They're not funny, jokes. yeah. Yeah. There's that part where he's like hanging from a tree. There's some like dark stuff in here, but- Who's it for? No, I don't know. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering watching it, like how was Michael Myers as popular as he was? Like, did we really find- Austin Powers, that funny? I mean, I haven't watched those movies in years, but there was a moment where he was like 
one of the top comedic performers in the world. I have a How feeling that the happen? first Austin Powers is still funny. Maybe I'm wrong about that. When's the last time you saw? I mean, probably as a child. Yeah, and I, there there is a brand of comedian that, as a child, I thought was hilarious. Yeah. that now I have no patience for. And I, I call it, like, babysitting. Like, I feel like I'm babysitting a hyperactive child. Mm, yeah. I'd put Robin Williams in that category. I'd put Jim oh, Carrey wow. in that category. Adam Sandler. Mm-hmm. It's, like, too much. And yeah. I get the same panic watching both of these films that I get with every Adam Sandler movie, where in the first, like, 30 seconds, I'm like, is he going to do that voice the entire time? <laughs> I, I would do. not compare Jim Carrey and Robin Williams to Mike Myers. That's, I think they're that's the same a- brand of comedian. Robin Williams has a few like tender roles where he like reins it in. I'd say all of them do. Maybe not Mike Myers, but well, like all of them have like, like they'll work with a director that'll get them to like mm-hmm. temper their improv impulses by working on something where it's like okay, you have a purpose in the scene, like yeah. a goal you want to. Yeah, achieve. I mean Jim Carrey's done some great dramatic, dramatic performance. Yeah, Mike Myers is not. He can't do any. What's a dramatic role he's been in? He mm. can't do it. I mean. My girlfriend, the axe murderer. Oh, I married an axe yeah. murderer. No, but even that, a, he's doing a shtick. No, it's, it's not always a, a shtick. He played Churchill in Inglorious Bastards for thirty seconds. No, did he? I don't know. Yeah, he did. I don't oh. remember anything about it other than that. I'm just there. saying, like Jim Carrey <laughs> and Robin Williams have a lot of depth. Like, yeah, they were yeah. known for the manic zany stuff, but they can rein it in and give a real performance. I Mike was quite Myles, touched by the Love Guru. I uh, oh my god, <laughs> people like, people think that like Cat in the Hat. <laughs> Like killed his career. Like Cat in the Hat, like made a decent amount of money. It was really Love Guru where yeah. people that's were like, the, "Oh, yeah. that's that it, it, dude. That we're You're done, done with this guy." Yeah. So yeah, I just don't. I, I don't even want to put them the all on equal Myers. footing. I'm just saying it's a very specific style of comedy. Yeah, that like, that like hypermanic, um, and like, and also like a lot of impressions and like quick shifting it's through. like 80s coke scene yeah comedy. totally yeah. yeah i know i know what you're saying i feel that way especially with jim carrey like it's very hard for me to watch a lot of jim carrey movies like even i know that everybody loves ace ventura pet detective like i can't i can't watch when i was 10 that is the funniest shit in the yeah. entire yes <laughs> now i'm like exhausted by like 30 seconds into yeah it. i don't even get to the transphobic punchline that pisses people off at the end like i don't get yeah. that far into the movie anymore well okay that was at the beginning of his career he's obviously he's not doing oh now he's stick. a painter and a political commentary uh yeah. I, I like this version of jim carrey it really doesn't bother he's a bit much i mean he's creepy i think he's fine he doesn't cre- he doesn't creep me out. Look up his interactions with Emma Stone and see if you still feel that way. Oh, I, I yeah. don't know what you're referencing. Google that. Google that. <laughs> you know what I would love to watch sometime, and I feel like we've almost done this before, but um, that Jim Carrey documentary about his Man on the Moon performance. I've never seen that. Oh, I've seen it. Yeah. It's really fascinating. Is he a nightmare to work with on that yes, one as well? Yes, he comes yeah. across. He's oh, like man. method acting Andy Kaufman, who was like... Already a terror. <laughs> well, but like... So in the film, the main thing I remember is like Andy Kaufman, Jerry Lawler, the wrestler had this big wrestling feud and, you know, Lawler slapped him on the David Letterman show and they were cruel to each other. But behind the scenes, they were friends. It was all a work. But Jim Carrey, because he's a method actor on the set of Man on the Moon, was treating Jerry Lawler like shit. And Lawler was like, dude, that was like kayfabe. Right. The real Andy Kaufman would not, like, we were best, you know, we were friends. And, like, Jim Carrey can't compute that. 
and like, yeah, he's just a terror on the set. And he, I mean, it's a great performance, but at what cost? Yeah, why? it's a really interesting look at method acting and like how it's kind of bullshit. You know, that sounds being great. a good actor <laughs> should be able to like turn it off. Right now that you have to stay in that character forever, but my favorite flavor of method acting is the Daniel Day Lewis. Brand, where he's just like, I'm going to become a seamstress right. for this role. <laughs> yeah, keep it to myself. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's like very like insular. Like I'm going to live in a. I'm going to build a log cabin for myself so I can understand like the Crucible. Not like I'm gonna like the Jared Leto method acting. Oh God. Is, yeah, that's or a like no the for me. Christian Bale where I'm going to lose a hundred pounds to play this anorexic character. Like you're killing yourself. Yeah. yeah. I guess Robert De Niro did that too when he gained like a hundred pounds for Raging Bull. I remember um, right. this interview with Michael Shannon. I, I forget what movie he was promoting, but he was in it with Julianne Moore, and he was talking about how like it takes him a lot of effort and like concentration to like psych up his intensity that he always. Mm-hmm. And Michael Shannon's always intense every time he's on camera. Yeah, um, and he's like, he was talking about how he was like so impressed with Julianne Moore for being like sociable. And like being like kind of like a party mom on set who was like just making sure everyone was having a good time uh-huh. and like talking Aww. and like just being sweet. And then as soon as the camera turns on, like she goes into full like emotional breakdown. So like, yeah, exactly and, like how she was in like, Boogie Nights. Right, right. Exactly like that. <laughs> but like he was like saying like she is such a better actor than I am because she mm-hmm. can like flip that intensity on like it's her job to do that and right. not have to like live in that headspace. And she's probably better off for it. Um, God, there was some story. It was about Dustin Hoffman, but basically this like older, I think it might be Alex Guinness calling him out for that. Like, you know, it's called acting because when the camera stops. Right. I'm a real person. Go back to a real (laughs) person and you stay this. So anyway. Yeah, I think Mike Myers is not a method actor. I think he's more of that Peter Sellers style where it's like. He never has a real personality. He's always right. putting on some kind of performance, no matter what social situation he's in. Right. So maybe the reason he's not around anymore and like doesn't get cast in those like big prestige Oscar roles where he gets to finally play a dramatic character is that no one likes to work with him. Yeah. And, you know, no one knows what the real him even is. So yeah, I don't know. That's just me speculating. I don't know the <laughs> man, but he seems very annoying. Yeah. Yeah, and like. The, you know, the difference for me between Peter Sellers and Mike Myers is I think Peter Sellers is funny. Can be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least more often than... I mean, it's just such a bummer to... Like, your career is based upon comedic roles and and you are, like, basically unfunny and unlikable and, and also a gajillionaire because you were in four Shrek movies. Yeah. So okay, so I you're don't untouchable feel that bad. now too. Yeah. <laughs> so overall, I guess we didn't care for most of these films. <laughs> wait, wait, wait! Your original pitch too, when we were like trying to figure out what to do, we were like, you were like, I hated Cat in the Hat. Um, I want to do an episode just about how much I hate Mike Myers. <laughs> we're gonna like watch just four of his performances. Um, oh, that would have been too much. Too much. Yeah. Yeah. But I. I I do hate Cat in the Hat. I hate Grinch. I like the way Cat in the Hat looks. And there are aspects of the Grinch I like too. And Jim Carrey does not annoy me nearly as much as Mike Myers does. But I mean, overall, there's really only the first movie we talked about is we're the only one that is special. A good movie. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so I think 
the thing that bothered me visually about the cat in the hat, it's like it was almost too, like, they were trying too hard to, like, okay, the best example I have is, like, the clothes that the children were wearing. Like, it was as if they took it directly from, like, the book, but in a way that made it not, like, the clothes didn't look real. Like, the kid's shirt had the exact scribble on it that was in the book, but it's, like, somehow... It translated into this like weird blobby. It's like when they did that um, CGI Peanuts movie, yeah, um, which was actually decent. But yeah. you know, Charlie Brown has that squiggle of hair, and right. to me, that always read as like a poof of hair. Yeah, but in the movie, they translated as like, like one cube. <laughs> it looks so <laughs> odd, disgusting. <laughs> yeah, but it's very literal, right? Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's like the. I think the Lorax is kind of like that too. I've never seen the I haven't animated, seen the animated version, one. but. The 5,000 Fingers was just this, like, new visual style for Seuss that felt totally Seussian and also... It's like it gave it a new presence. And, like, the 5,000 Fingers movie is the gem of this collection. One last thing, though, that I noticed just us talking about it is that, okay, the Fingers film, it's all essentially humans. And then the Grinch, it's like... They're all like these characters where they call again the you have the Grinch and then the Who's. The who's. So they're all like in this fantastical world, but kind of what makes Cat in the Hat weird and kind of go into like the uncanny valley sort of thing. It was like you have the human actors mm-hmm. and you have yes. all humans, but you have the Cat in the Hat and something about and the CGI yeah, goldfish and the CGI, CGI goldfish. Yeah. So you have like. CGI goldfish, practical effects, cat in the hat, human actors, something about that combination feels strange yeah. and off-putting. And I, I think that's why the Grinch feels more like a cohesive vision. Right. I had the same just overriding thing with all these movies where like, I think they all look visually cool. I could watch basically any story in that setting and still have something to do like mentally yeah <laughs> which cat in the hat tested the most <laughs> like, <laughs> there's just really nothing else going on besides the visual design for me and i think jim carrey and mike myers being hired to fill the empty space makes a lot of sense because there's just nothing there and you need someone to do something I would yeah. like, like to have seen air. the. I would like to have seen the Tim Allen version. <laughs> what would that have? Right. Have you ever oh. seen Shaggy Dog, where he gets turned into like a dog with like human eyes? Very odd. Is it as good yeah. as it sounds? No, it's horrible. <laughs> okay. uh, but um, the two of them also had to sit through hours and hours of makeup, so at least they suffered for their. Scenes. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I have heard. I haven't seen the Lorax, but I heard the most recent Grinch. Movie that was all animated, I think came out like two or three years ago. It's supposed to be really, really good. So maybe really? that's the key is just keep it animated. Yeah. But then I loved 5,000. Fi- I, I mean, I loved like how that translated physically, but I think yeah. it was all practical. I mean, it was all of these built sets and they yeah. did these really like the composition was gorgeous. That scene where he's just climbing the ladder up into infinity. So there, I mean, I felt basically the same way. Like they should just keep them animated and stay out of live action until I saw 
that. And that, then I thought, oh, this is what it could be. With enough money. Right, yeah, yeah <laughs> with a lot of money, unfortunately. Well, I doubt there will be another live-action Dr. Seuss movie anytime oh. soon. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Yeah. Um. Hopefully. No, I think they, after Cat in the Hat. It's over. His They're estate like, or whatever. No. Nope. That's no it. More. Smart. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. No, no more. We got we got those two. <laughs> well, uh, next week on the show, we're going to talk about Impulse, which is a movie I picked out. It is a thriller about a man who keeps marrying wealthy widows to kill them for their huh. dowry, I guess. Yep. Uh, and it is the villain is played by William Shatner. And uh, oh, wow. you get to see him sweat in Florida sunshine in these like tacky 70s oh. leisure suits. Oh my God. Uh, and he puts on a hell of a performance. Like it is similar to the Jim Carrey and Mike Myers thing where he's just like overacting every single line as much as he can. Yeah. But you know, it's William Shatner, not, Jim Carrey, so yeah. maybe uh, a little more subdued. Oh, uh, he's trying so hard. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's really fun. I like, and I like William Wonderful. Shatner. Yeah, I can't remember the director's name off the top of my head, but he makes a lot of like regional films, and they're all filmed in Florida. So all this like sweaty grime. I love them. it. Yeah, yeah, that like sweaty like pastel aesthetic. Yeah, like bright colors and just like dirty tan bodies. Yeah, it's so gross, but yeah. like kind of suave at the same time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, love it. You can just smell it. And that's me trying to meet um, Allie and Boomer halfway because they really only want to ever talk about Star Trek. So I'm trying to like <laughs> get on their just... level in a way I can understand. So that was, that was me right. trying to find common ground. <laughs> uh, in the meantime, we are posting things on swampflix.com mm-hmm. every day or at least every weekday at this point. Come and read it. Uh, this month, Britney's movie of the month selection was hello again which was a frank perry directed film mm-hmm. about shelly long coming back from oh. the grave to find love and happiness it was um, lovely yeah also i should add you know she was supposed to be here to record this episode she did not make it but she did text me saying um five thousand fingers of dr t was my favorite movie because it rem- reminded me of a pbs holiday play and cat in the hat made me feel icky i hate perverted <laughs> animal characters exclamation point <laughs> So she pretty much just yeah. echoed what we said. Yeah. <laughs> it's good That's to know she's right. here in spirit. <laughs> That's about right. And we'll talk to you all next week. Yay. Bye, everybody. Bye.